Bible, please open to Acts chapter 4 this evening, Acts chapter 4, and then uh, Mr. Jonathan will be down front here, so if you want to come and ask any particular questions about that project or the work, uh, he'll be there. You can uh, see him right after the service. The first three chapters of Acts are mountain peak experiences for the early church, right? I mean, nothing like it. Then comes Acts chapter 4 with opposition and persecution. So we're calling this series Acts First Century Faith for 21st Century Christians. My message tonight is entitled Four Things Every Church Needs or Four Things Every Christian Needs. You see, Acts 3, it's all just going great. Acts 1, Jesus ascends to heaven. Acts 2, we have the, the uh, day of Pentecost and 3,000 saved. Acts chapter 3, then you have the, the paralyzed man at the gate beautiful uh, who is, is healed, the eastern gate. He begins to leap around, praising God, giving glory to God. Chapter 3, verse 11, everyone comes running to check out the miracle at Solomon's porch. Sure enough, this is not a fake miracle. This is a real miracle. This man is healed after begging for years and years. They're filled with wonder. They're filled with amazement. They ask, what's going on? Peter preaches the gospel. I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Jewish leaders and people have crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And, and you can be saved. You can be forgiven if you will put your faith and trust in him. Thousands come to Christ, and so we see it in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And so you have, you have 120 in the upper room, then you have 3,000, Acts 2.41, added to that group, so the church is now 3,120, and now in Acts chapter 4, verse 3, there's 5,000. So either the total number is 5,000 men, or 5,000 more men, either way, not counting women and children, the church is a, it's just a mega church. You've got thousands in the church. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Well, not everyone. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Something has to be done, they say. This group is growing too fast. We have to stop it. So they arrest Peter and John. They question them. And now they threaten them in verse 16. They're saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed a notable miracle has been done by them, is manifest to all, to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name, this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Opposition, persecution, threatening. What are we going to do? We're going to do what they did. So would you please stand with me? We'll pick up the account here in Acts chapter 4. Four things every church needs. Four things every Christian needs. And so let's pick it up here in verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. May we pray. Lord, we desire to be like the early church. We desire to be able to be filled with the Spirit of God, to speak your word with boldness, to speak it in love, to shine the light of the gospel to others who desperately need you. Father, we know that you are at work calling all men to yourself, and yet you use us as the instruments to be salt and to be light. So, Father, I pray we would turn from our sin, turn from our selfishness, to be surrendered to you, to allow you to work in us, to allow you to work through us. So, Father, tonight I pray that these four things that we find in Peter and John and the apostles, that they can become a part of our lives. Strengthen us for our time in reading and hearing the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's really nothing like it in all of, of church history. Right now it's church growth seminars, church consulting experts, church leadership books. I mean, it's all big business. Millions and millions of dollars are spent trying to help churches reach more people to impact their community, to find new ways to grow their churches. What we find in Acts chapter 4 is not what we find in those seminars, those podcasts, or those books. But what we find in Acts 4 is what God blessed in the first century, and I believe God will bless in the 21st century. Four things every church needs, and just to make it very specific, four things every Christian needs, four things I need, four things you need. Number one, boldness in witnessing. 
boldness in witnessing. Verse 13 and 14, let's pick it up there. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is that group of of Sadducees that, that rule over the temple in Jerusalem. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The priests, the Sadducees, they see this this boldness in Peter and John. Remember, these were the guys that were hiding behind locked doors after the crucifixion. Now, the priests and the Sadducees, they make two very interesting observations. Observation number one. These men, Peter and John, are unlearned and ignorant men. They're not saying that they're dumb. They're not saying that they're dumb. They they had not been formally educated in the rabbinic schools. We would say they didn't go to college. They didn't go to college. Their education was OJT. Their education was on-the-job training with dad in a fishing boat. They were smart men, but they weren't trained in rabbinic law. Second observation, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. So what does that mean? Is it like when Moses came down the mountain after 40 days of fasting and fellowshipping with God and his face glowed? He's been with God. That's not what happened here. No, the observation is the boldness of Peter and John mirrors the boldness of Jesus. So what has just happened? Jesus, Passion Week, goes into the temple, overturns the money changers' tables, he makes a whip, and he begins to whip them and chase them out. He cleanses the temple. That's boldness. That's boldness. That's not wimpy Jesus. That's Jesus the man, Jesus the Messiah, and he goes with boldness. I mean, this is something that they're going to talk about for years. Do you remember that guy who, 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 uh, who claimed to be Messiah, and, and he came in and he just cleansed everything out and chased everybody out? You remember that? They're going to talk about it for years, but it's only been a couple months. Jesus taught with boldness. He acted with boldness, and they said, they're just, like, they're just like him. They must be his disciples because these guys remind us of that troublesome, bold Bible teacher who claimed to be Messiah. They're bold. They're bold. The question now is, are you a bold witness? Are you a bold witness? I'm not saying obnoxious because we're to speak the truth in love. I'm asking, are you a bold witness? And if not, why not? If not, why not? Is there anyone that you know that doesn't know that you're a Christian. And if that's true and you've known them for very long, then you're not a bold witness. Do something about it. So why do Christians not share their faith? What holds them back? What do you think is the top two or three reasons why Christians don't share their faith? Fear, fear of man. Yes, rejection, fear, rejection. Anything else come to mind? 
That's a good summary, isn't it? Okay, so what are we afraid of? And what happens with the rejection? So the most fearful thing that a person could have for sharing their faith would be what? They would take my, take my life, that I would be killed. Is that likely to happen to you when you share your faith? Not in America. Not in America. Now, if you lived in Nigeria, if you lived in Nigeria, eight days ago, a pastor and his seven-year-old son were walking home from church. They were walking home from choir practice. And the radical Muslim Fuhani herdsmen killed them and beheaded them. Thomas Wolo, his seven-year-old son, Ngwe. And you say, that's awful. And it is. It is. But they are only two of 3,400 Christians that have been martyred for their faith in Nigeria in the year 2021. We don't have that kind of fear. If you lived in Nigeria, you'd have that kind of fear. We don't have that kind of fear. So fear of of man, as Brother Wilson said, and that's really what it is. It's this fear that someone might think something a little, a little less of us. So what might they think about us that would be a fear for us not to share our faith? They might think we are crazy, religious fanatics, it's okay for them to be fanatical about sports. It's okay for them to be fanatical about exercise. It's okay for them to be fanatical about food or cosmetics or, or, or uh, exercise or whatever they're fanatical about. That's okay. But to be fanatical about reading the Bible or talking about Jesus, oh, because we see on TV and we see in the movies these people that that are religious fanatics and it's like they've had some kind of a mental religious breakdown they're wild-eyed and and we don't want to we don't want people to think we're like that fear so it's not fear of death that's not going to happen but it is a fear that they might think less of us that they might think that we're not as good as they are that we might be rejected don't let fear stop you from speaking the truth in love. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, Peter and John didn't. So how can we become a bold witness? Well, first of all, we believe the truth. We believe the truth. We believe the Word of God. Verse 10. In verse 10, Be it known unto you all, to the Sadducees, to the priests, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the truth. Jesus is alive. Jesus healed this man, and they knew it. Verse 20, in verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What did they see and hear? They saw Jesus alive. When they didn't see him alive, they cowered in fear. When they saw him alive, they unlocked the doors, and they went out, and they boldly proclaimed the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. How can we become a bold witness? Believe the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is either true or it's not. Which side do you stand on? 
Do you believe it's God's word, God's truth? Do you believe in reality? Because if you don't believe in this, then you're in the twilight zone. This is reality. This is truth. Secondly, testify what God has done for you. Verse 14, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You got to see the picture here. Remember the drawing I showed you last time? Uh, the uh, council of the Sanhedrin were uh, these, these uh, 35 chairs on each side, and the, the uh, high priest would be the deciding vote. If there was a, if there was a deadlock vote, he'd cast the, the deciding vote. And so with Peter and John, here's the man. I mean, the man that, that was healed, the man that's over 40 years old, that's been, been begging for decades, he's, he's with them, he's whole, he, they're testifying what God has done. What has God done for you? Has he done anything for you? I love the testimony this morning. Uh, for those who, who didn't hear it, you'll hear the video next week, but our... our uh, our newest member, Stephanie Brady, she said, you know, I was saved at a younger age, and for many years I thought, well, I, I don't have such a fantastic testimony. And, and then she said, then someone pointed out to me that instead of God saving me uh, uh, out of all of these wicked kinds of things, God saved me from, from getting into that. You're, you're going to love hearing it next week, uh, or you heard it uh, in, the, uh, in the service today. Everyone has a testimony what has God done in your life? No one can refute your story. I, 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 uh, I had terrible insomnia from being in the home that I was in and didn't have peace. God gave me peace. He, he took away the, uh, the fear of death. I knew that I was going to heaven once I got saved. And, and the context of that was this. My, my, my home was a place of chaos, a place of upset, and place of occasional violence. The police were called more than once to settle things down. And so my mom, my mom was, was instructed to try Al-Anon. Al-Anon, it's a group of, of folks that meet together to, to support one another if they have a relative or a friend who is addicted to alcohol. My dad even went a couple of times to AA. We've all heard about AA, Alcoholics Anonymous Meetings. Didn't help. Didn't have the answers. In fact, they told him a lie. They told him a lie. They said to my mom in Al-Anon and my dad in AA that he had a disease and he could never be healed. And if he wanted to stop drinking, what he needed to do was to attend AA meetings every day. What a prescription. Come here every day and you'll never be healed. Well, that didn't happen, did it? But God didn't stop his drinking either. But God, but God. But when God saved my dad and forgave his sin, God gave him an invisible, divine, supernatural power to break the addiction. Nobody can tell me different because I lived it, because I saw it, because I experienced it, and I boldly testify to you tonight, 46 years later, that I saw God's power change my dad. Can't be refuted. And then my, uh, my brother and I, we were both saved, all in answer to my mother's prayers. Testify what God has done for you. See, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Verse 29. And now 
They have been let go. They rejoin the disciples and they pray. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. And so... We've all been through this experience of being fearful of sharing our faith. So what you do is you pray, God, help me to be a loving, kind, and bold witness. If you say, I just, I just can't do that. I just can't, I can't talk to a waitress. I can't talk to a store clerk. I can't talk to a neighbor. I can't talk to a coworker. I can't talk to a stranger about Jesus. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I, 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 uh, I saw was reminded as I saw this refrigerator magnet on our refrigerator. It's our to-do list. We got it from one of our missionaries in Europe. Number one, pray. Number two, talk to people. Number three, tell people about Jesus. <laughs> Uh, this was written by a very scholarly missionary who's got a PhD and has stood before uh, all kinds of university professors and been on television in his country. But it's as simple as pray, talk to people, tell people about Jesus. Letter D, just do it. Just do it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Uh, you can grow in steps of boldness. I'm going to help you out tonight. You can grow in steps of boldness. And so what happens is, what happens is when, the, um, when the waitress or waiter brings you the bill, now it's a, little, it's a smaller folder like this. So they, they bring you the bill, they set it on the table, and what do they say? They say, whenever you're ready, you can you can pay. So when she turns her back and walks away, then when no, you can look, look around, and you pull out a track, and you, you, you slip it in there. Right? Oh, you got to pay the bill too. All right. Now, if you're going to leave a track, leave a tip. Leave a good tip. <laughs> leave a good tip. You're representing Jesus. So make sure you leave a good tip. So that, that's, that's one way you can kind of be like Nicodemus. You're going to do this in secret, but you're going to do it. All right, you're going to do it. You're going to, all right, so there's, there's, a, there's a Nicodemus type witness. Can everyone do that? Can everyone do that? Sure, sure you can. Okay, well, let's, let, let's take another step and we're going to grow in steps of boldness. We're going to be like Andrew. Going to be like Andrew. Uh, you can say to the waitress when you pay your bill, hey, if you, uh, if you ever have a, a Sunday off, I'd like to give you an invitation to visit my church. Uh, there's a message on the back that changed my life, and I hope you get a chance to read it. Now you're actually talking, right? Right? I mean, you're, and you're, you're talking, and the word Jesus came out of your mouth in the same, you know, you're, you're being a witness. You're being a witness. Andrew, that's good. We're growing. But then you say, okay, pastor, I'm ready for the next step. All right, what's the next step? The next step is, is you're going to be like Peter, I mean, you're just going to be bold. You're going to be like Peter. And so you get started right off the bat. I mean, you order your food, and they bring the drinks, and then they bring the food. When they bring the food, 
The last thing they have been trained to do is to ask you a question. What's the question? You have your food, you have your drinks, you have your, your, your bread, your salad, and, and they're going to walk away, but they ask you, what do they ask you? Everything okay? Can I do anything else for you? Right, right? They're being polite, they're being trained, and then you say, you be Peter, you can do it. You can be Peter. You can say, as we did today, Sloan, um, we're Christians. We always thank God for our food. And when we do, we always pray for our waitress. We're going to pray for you today. And she smiled. And, and, and I said, is there anything that we can pray for you about? And if they're young, typically we'll say anything about school or maybe we might say something about anything about your family. And she said, oh, yes. She said, I'm, I'm going to, uh, back to college in, in a couple of weeks. And what college you go to? I go to Colgate. And, and what year are you in? What major are you in? Pray. Talk to people. Tell people about Jesus. And then we, we pray for her. Peter, be a Peter. So you're taking a, another step. So what do we do? What do we do? We just do it. You can do it. You say, but I can't do it. But I can't do it. I'm going to introduce to you someone who said, well, you just said, I can't do it, but you can do it. Stan and Mary Hess came to our church many years ago, and they were challenged spiritually like they have never been challenged in their life from the background that they came from. When Mary would hear messages like this one tonight, she would say, oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't, I won't, I never will, I couldn't do it. I'm just too fearful, I'm too fearful. By the way, I asked her permission to tell the story tonight, and she said, make sure you tell them that I was afraid. <laughs> tell them I was afraid to pass out tracts, to talk about my faith, to talk about Jesus. You tell them that. I could never do that. But she prayed. She prayed for God to help her. Well, one day, uh, Stan, her husband, was flying uh, a buddy's uh, balloon, a hot air balloon. It's called the Arky. It's the Noah's Ark balloon. And they were up in, up in Maine with the Conrads. And she's telling Linda Conrad, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And Linda said, sure you can. Anybody can do this. Get over it. Well, the friend that has this balloon also has tracks with a picture of the balloon on one side. Guess what's on the other side? Jokes. No, no, the gospel. <laughs> the gospel. And so he's got a picture of the balloon and the gospel on the other side. And so as the balloon goes up, guess what everybody wants? They want the postcard. They want, they want a, a, a keepsake. They want a memory. They want a souvenir. Guess who they flock around? The person who's never given a track out in her life. She gave a thousand tracks out in one hour. You talk about breaking the ice. Breaking the ice. And so when she came and she told the story, I said, Mary, you have given out more tracks in one hour than the average Christian gives out in their entire lifetime. Right now, they are touring out west. They are along the Oregon coast, and they are sharing Jesus wherever they go. Just retired last year and sharing the Lord. And so it should be for us. When, the, when you do it, the fear is broken, 
and you continue to share your faith. Four things every church needs, four things every Christian needs. Number one, boldness in witnessing. Number two, passionate obedience to God. How do you become passionate about your obedience to God? Well, it begins, as we said this morning, loving God more than yourself. When you really love God, you want to obey Him. We heard last week about Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What if that was you? What if Jesus asks you tonight, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The answer would be, well, then you will obey him. You will obey him. When you really love God, you want to obey him. So Peter and John cared more about what God thought and what God commanded than the Jewish leaders. Look in verse 19. In verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. Well, that's pretty obvious. We're going to go with God. We're going to be more concerned about what God thinks, what God commands than you. Secondly, Peter and John were compelled by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I see that again in verse 20. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We, we have this compulsion. We are compelled by the Spirit of God to testify to you about the Lord Jesus. Passionate obedience to God. Four things every Christian needs. Boldness at witnessing, passionate obedience. Three is fervent prayer. We pick it up in verse 29. They've been threatened. In the next chapter, they're going to be beaten. In the next chapters after that, one of them is going to be imprisoned. They're both, Peter and, and John, are both be imprisoned. One's going to be beheaded. I know it's a spoiler alert, uh, but, 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 but bad stuff's coming, and they don't pray for the bad stuff to go away. What do they pray for? They pray for boldness and witnessing. Look at it. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They didn't pray for persecution to go away. Right? What's their prayer request? Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus when they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. They spake the word of God with boldness. These people are not playing church. They know their lives are on the line. They're willing to die for these beliefs. They're not willing to die for a lie. They know Jesus is Savior. They know He is Lord. They know He is alive. They know He's coming back. They know He's the eternal judge. And heaven and hell are real places. And people need to be lovingly invited to come to Christ. So they prayed for boldness because they care for people. They did not pray to have their circumstances changed or their enemies put out of office. Rather, they asked God to empower them to make the best use of their circumstances, to accomplish what God has already determined to do. Now, this is not fatalism. This is faith. Philip Brooks wrote, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for equal uh, power equal to your tasks. They did not pray for protection, but they prayed for God's power to be released in them. 
God can bring good out of persecution. And I think the last 12 months have shown us that. They pray for God to help them, and then just a list of the results of fervent prayer. There were visible signs. The place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Unity, one heart, one soul. Powerful witness, sacrificial giving that we'll see coming up. Four things every Christian needs. Four things every church needs. Boldness in witnessing, passionate obedience, fervent prayer, and then selfless unity in God's work. Selfless unity in God. God's work will not be united unless there is a trampling down on selfishness replaced with a selflessness. Look with me in verse 24. Verse 24, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, with one accord. Uh, Verse 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were assembled together. They were together. Verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. One heart, one soul. I'm going to preach what God says. We all have an opportunity and privilege and responsibility to to do what God says. One heart, one soul. Selflessness, one accord. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. You can't do that and be selfish at the same time. Pride and selfishness and self-will And always wanting to be right breeds conflict. Only by pride cometh what? Contention, Proverbs 13.10. The Pharisees were in conflict with Jesus because they were constantly trying to make mountains out of molehills over the Sabbath laws. But they weren't God's laws. They were rabbinic laws that were added to the Word of God. And it really, I think I mentioned it Wednesday night at The Chosen, especially in season two. I often wondered, why did not Jesus, why didn't you just do this on Friday? Why didn't you just do this on Sunday? Why did you do it on Saturday? It's like, it's like you, you, you're going to upset them. And after, after watching some of the season two, it's like, he did this on purpose. He did this on purpose. He, he let his di- disciples uh, take the wheat on the Sabbath day. He, he healed again and again and again on the Sabbath day. He tells the guy, it's not enough just to heal him. He says, pick up your mat. You know, it's, it's like a tiny sleeping bag and walk knowing it will irritate them because what they're holding to is not true. So he's turning on the light. He's showing them truth. And the Bible says that they wanted to destroy him because he did not observe their Sabbath rituals and rules. They were petty. They were not godly. They were burdensome. And that's, and the Bible also says they wanted to kill him for envy. This pettiness created their anger and hate to kill Jesus. We're not to be like that. We're saved from that. And yet, I have had 
opportunities outside the church to see how this operates. I, I was asked to write an article for a particular uh, ministry website, uh, Ministry 127, and I, uh, I wrote an article. Uh, uh, it, was, it was an article on unity. And so I, I explained in, in how, how uh, had these different circles of fellowship, and, and so we all, we all, including the Apostle Paul, including Jesus, Jesus actually quoted, he quoted Greek poets when he saved the Apostle Paul in the Damascus Road. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why do you kick against the pricks? He was actually quoting from a Jewish playwright from 400 B.C. Why didn't he quote the Old Testament? Well, well when, when the Lord Jesus wanted to lead Paul to, to himself, he, he wanted to be able to bring something that, as a learned Jew, that he was familiar with, and, and he made it a part of Scripture. A physician, heal thyself. Again, uh, from extra-biblical writings. We find the Apostle Paul quoting about the Cretans have their slow bellies. We find the Apostle Paul preaching on Athens. In him we live and move and have our being. Paul said, I want you to bring me the parchments, bring the books, but especially the parchments, the Word of God. Paul read outside the Word of God. He read literature, and some of that became part of the Bible. So in my little article that I wrote, so we read books that, of people that don't believe like us, and and then we attend seminars. We attend seminars, again, of people that don't believe exactly like us, but they have some truth, and we want to learn. It might be about finances. It might be about adult Bible fellowships. It might be about uh, school ministry. It might be about children's ministry. And the circle gets a little bit smaller. And then we support missionaries. Do you know that all of our missionaries do not believe exactly like everything that we or I might believe? They might, they might have, have music that's a little bit different. They might have an order of service. They might have women sitting on one side, men sitting on one side. I've seen that in, in some African countries. But, but that's okay. But then, then if you want to be a member here, we have a doctrinal statement, right? And then if you want to be a leader here, we have a leadership covenant, and you know, like a triangle. When you go up, the farther you go up, the, the narrower it gets. So I'm writing this article, and I, I just mentioned that, that as, as Christians, as Baptist leaders, we should not separate over a 16th note in a song. A 16th note. Well, somehow this article that got posted, it, it then got posted in Australia, and then uh, a missionary from Canada in Nepal uh, who has a very wide circulation of telling everyone else what they're doing wrong made it to him. And he did not like Pastor Scott Wendell's comment about the 16th note. No, no, no. So he wrote an article against me about, about this comment about, about these music standards. So I had several Canadian pastors, and they wrote me, and they said, well, I just want you to know, and, and, and uh, so they, they loved me in our ministry, and it didn't affect that relationship at all. I've preached in their churches, and some have been here, and, and we support some of their kids in mission work, and, and then, you know, a year goes by, and, and then my uh, brother-in-law, he says, hey, you made it, no Timothy again. This time you're on the front page, full-color picture. He says, it's actually a pretty nice picture this time. 
making a mountain out of a molehill. 16th note. It's not in the Bible. We don't make mountains out of molehills. Dare I walk on thin ice? Masks? Vaccines? Government conspiracies? Making mountains out of molehills is not godly. It's not spirit-filled. It's not what should be in the first century church or the 21st century church. For unity to be in this place, it's going to take trampling on selfishness. It's going to invite selflessness of putting others before. Now, we're not, we're not going, we're not talking about the fundamentals of the faith. We're not departing from the fundamentals of the faith. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. God wrote the Bible. He's not changing his mind. But you read Romans 14. You read 1 Corinthians. And you're going to find that they had some disputable topics in their day and were to be patient with one another or to be loving towards one another. But you know, if you just come down and you disagree, I'm not playing Uno because Uno is cards and cards are bad. Then don't play Uno. <laughs> or I'm not going to play spades because it's with cards and there's a joker in the cards and that's bad then don't do it. We can disagree agreeably. You don't have to be cantankerous because you disagree with another Christian, but especially with the pastor. <laughs> it is something that every church needs and every Christian needs and I need and you need a commitment to selfless unity in God's work. And so I ask, what petty point do you need to give up for the sake of unity? What petty point do you need to give up for the sake of unity? Think about it. Ask God, is there anything I am doing to upset the unity that you are working to create I mean, these Christians are from all over the Roman Empire. They speak different languages. They come from different cultures. But God put them together in this church to be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. He has done the same for us. Four things every church needs. Four things every Christian needs. Boldness in witnessing. Passionate obedience. Fervent prayer. Selfless unity in God's work. Yes, you can witness. One last helpful hint we learned from our discipleship series. The track is called Amazing Grace. Wonderful track about the man, John Newton, who got saved from a life of deep sin, a slave trader, he got saved, became a pastor, wrote the song Amazing Grace. And so all you have to do is ask someone, have you ever heard the song Amazing Grace? Yes. You pull it out. You say, here is the uh, 
uh, amazing story about how that song was written. I hope you get a chance to read it. And if you frequent that place, uh, you say, I'll, check, I'll check back and tell me what you think about it. We all can do it. But it's time to do it. Our world needs bright lights this week for Christ. Father, thank you for our time to, to be together, to be encouraged from the word of God, to hear from our brother missionary that God, you're saving people halfway around the world in Ghana. Encourage our hearts to want to, to be passionate about what you're passionate about. God, fill us with your spirit. Give us unity. Give us commitment to the great commission, to the glory of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder tonight, has God spoken to your heart? Is there something that, that you need to maybe add to your life this week? It, it might be that you, you don't leave this worship center without some tracks in your pocket or purse. It might be that, that you want to have some time daily to come before the Lord in prayer, to pray for our missionaries, to pray for our church pray for your pastors, to pray for our witness. It might be something that you've been holding some resentment back, some unforgiveness, or maybe a petty point that just it's time to let it go for the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ. We are complete in the Lord and we need to accept and enjoy our position in Christ. Father, thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What does the cross mean to you? The cross has inspired poets and hymn writers for 2,000 years, overwhelmed to think about what God has done for us. If you have a Bible today, please open to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 this morning. We're looking at the seven realities of experiencing God based on a Bible study by Pastor Henry Blackaby. We consider the question, can you see God's fingerprints on your life? I promise you that he is at work. God is not absent in your life. He is not on vacation. Reality number one, God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. God's fingerprints can be seen in your salvation. You couldn't be saved without God working in the circumstances and people around you. God is, his fingerprints can be seen in your influence and how God will use you to be able to touch others. 2 Corinthians 5.18, God has reconciled us unto himself and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So God is using things that you say and do to impact others, and that's his work. That's his fingerprints at work being able to bring people to himself. So believe. Believe the first reality that God is always at work around you. Sometimes it's very obvious. You say, wow, look, look what he did. And sometimes you need to get out the fine fingerprint dust that the detectives use. You know, they dust. Oh, look at the fingerprint. 
and you see God, He is at work. He's at work in amazing ways. Reality number two, God is pursuing a love relationship with you that is real and that is personal. God is pursuing a love relationship with you. Would you please stand as I read from Moses' account with God, encounter with God in Exodus chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will go. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. May we pray. Father, help us to see that you are pursuing each one of us into this intimate love relationship that will last for eternity. I pray now, Father, if there be one here today and they're, they're just not certain if heaven is their home, if they don't have the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins or salvation, God, I pray that the Spirit of God will convict and will convince them and draw them that they might understand that they are here by divine appointment or watching online to hear this wonderful message of your love, your forgiveness, your salvation. I pray now for each Christian that we might understand that you have a great plan, a great purpose to use us in your great kingdom work and that we would surrender to that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God pursued Moses in a love relationship that lasted for the rest of his life. It was 25 years ago, we were in a middle of a massive building program. At least I thought it was a massive building program. We had the first building that you see there, our church auditorium. It, it, it would seat 177 people. And uh, we uh, actually added 100 chairs and four doors. And so we could squeeze in 277 people. And then we went to double services. Uh, how many of you worship with us in that first building? Anybody here for that? Okay, several of you. Yep. And so what happened is, is we needed to build. We needed to expand. God was greatly blessing. And so we started another auditorium. It was a long building project. I don't know if it was the timing that we started, but we got a lot of rain, and the basement became a great... We had to, we had to use dynamite to be able to break up the, the rock, Black Rock Road, so we used the dynamite, and then, and then we got the foundation in, then it rained, it was like a swimming pool, and it went on so long that we actually put a tent in the basement and had a picnic one July 4th uh, in, in, in there, and uh, we, uh, I was contacted by the township that uh, we needed a permit Another, and next time we put up a tent. Uh, since we had a supervisor in the 
early service. I didn't mention that part in the message, but uh, uh, so it was just a, it was a long project. It had its problems, big challenges, but about halfway through those challenges, they stopped bothering me. I just, I just was not bothered by them anymore. You see, in the middle of the building program, I met Jody, and I fell in love. And all the problems just seemed like they didn't matter anymore. They're still there. Uh, we had been writing for three months. Um, how do I explain that to you young people? Um, it, it, it wasn't a text. It wasn't an email. We weren't snapping or tweeting or twittering or other stuff like that. Uh, it was, well, it was like, like you sit down at a table and you get a piece of paper and you, you, you write. And so when Jody got my first note, um, I, had, I sent her a picture of me and the boys and I, I told the boys, I said, look cute. I right, just look cute. And uh, we got the picture, sent the picture and uh, she got this first note. And then so she wrote me back. And when she sat down, her mom took a picture, snapped a picture. This is the first letter that she is writing back to me. And so we, we wrote for uh, several months there. On December 26, 1995, I flew up to Canada and for three days met with her and the love that was beginning to grow during that time of, of uh, writing suddenly turned into a waterfall. And when I got home, I began calling every night we didn't do as many letters. Uh, it was international calling, two, three hours a night. It was cheaper to get married than it was to continue to uh, be engaged. And so, uh, so what happened is uh, I, I began pursuing a love relationship that was real and personal. And so a month after that first meeting, I flew up to Canada, surprised Jody and asked her to, uh, uh, to marry me. But the day before I left, the day before I left, the architect and the builder had a problem. And so they met together, and it was, it was, it was, they were, they were pretty, they were digging in. The architect said, take down the plywood on the auditorium walls, replace it with fire-rated wood. Builder said no. He said, it's not in the plans. The architect said, it's not in the plans, but it's in the specs. You got to do this. Builder said, no. I said, I'm in love. I'm going to get engaged. Work it out. <laughs> Work it out. And they did. They did. We, we had a sprinkled building, so they didn't take down the walls, which I'm very thankful for. So I surprised Jody, took her to the Skyline Tower for dinner overlooking Niagara Falls, and I asked her to marry me. And, and she paused she paused as she's holding back the tears the pause was way too long i mean it was way too long but then she said yes she said yes and and then a month after our engagement again we're still in this building project the designer church designer said i want you to see a building that i designed so i'm going to fly you down and back to tennessee to see pastor adrian rogers building i think it was memphis memphis tennessee and uh, so I went down, and uh, uh, many of you have seen him on TV or heard him on the radio. And so I toured the building, took pictures for our staff to see. But while I was there, I called Jody, and I said, I'm in this massive Baptist church building, and they're having a conference. Uh, they're hosting a ladies' conference with 3,000 women. 
but the only one that I want to see is you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Carol. <laughs> you see, I'm pursuing a love relationship with Jody, and on June 15, 1996, we were married. I want to illustrate to you today that God is pursuing a love relationship with you, and he is relentless about it. He will not stop. He is seeking you because he loves you with an everlasting love. So don't miss what God wants most from you. What does God want most from you? He wants a personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship, a love relationship with you. It's far more important than what you do for him. You know, we often, we often admire the heroes of the faith for what they did for God, but they did what they did because of the relationship that they had with God. And because of that relationship, God showed his mighty power through them. And so when you, when you think about Enoch, Enoch walked with God and he was not. God literally took Enoch to heaven without dying. Abraham, Abraham was what? He's called the what? The friend, the friend of God. David is a man after God's own heart. Hannah prayed. She prayed earnestly there at the tabernacle, and God heard the prayer and answered her prayer. Love relationship. And out of that love relationship comes God demonstrating and displaying his power in their lives. Now, the first thing that God does for us in our lives is to draw us to himself. And when he draws us to himself, we call that salvation, being saved, being born again, uh, being a part of the family of God. That's a, that you, don't, you don't grow into that. It's a commitment to Jesus Christ. When you are born again, you come into this love relationship. But then as you are gr growing in this spiritual relationship with Christ, he, he gives you assignments, an assignment to impact others, an assignment to influence others for him. And whenever it seems that God is not doing anything fresh in your life, then it's time to begin to refocus on your love relationship with him. So look with me at verse 1 and 2. Uh, Moses had tried this his own way. It didn't work. Now 40 years have passed. Verse 1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked in... And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. God is pursuing Moses, and the way he did it was he had this bush burn, but it didn't burn up. Never happened before in history, never happened since. It's an amazing thing. And it draws Moses in, and he would never be the same. He's got a new purpose. He has a new love, and that love is God. God is relentlessly pursuing a love relationship with you even when you're ignoring him, even when you're focusing on yourself, even when you're focusing on the hurts of your past. God created you for an intimate fellowship with him. And if you make it your life's pursuit, if you make it your life's goal and journey to walk closely with the Lord, 
I mean, it's going to be a great life. It'll be exciting. It'll be rewarding. It'll be fulfilling. God does not want you to miss out on what he intended from eternity past to be close to you. Hey, last week, Pastor Dave Tice shared five things to do every day. It was in the evening service. Five things to do every day. And if you want to experience God, this is, this is great uh, instruction from the Lord. Number one is worship Him. Uh, we saw this a few months ago, worship. And the word means bow down. Literally to bow down before God. Worship Him. Two is to thank Him. The psalmist said it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. I like to encourage people, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you do is to thank God for three things that he did for you the day before. Hey, did God do anything for you yesterday? Then, then thank him for it specifically because how you think affects the way you feel. And if you will begin, I mean, as soon as you come to consciousness, the alarm or before the alarm goes off, and you, you thank God three specific things, that, that affects how you feel. And so let's thank him. And then praise him. This is different. Praise him. Daily shall he be praised for who he is, for what he has done. Confess your sins every day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is not to get saved again and again, but this is to keep, keep your fellowship close with the Lord. And then to say, I love you, Jesus, every day, every day. Pastor Tice said, I've taken 15 minutes to explain this to you, but you can do it in three minutes. Five things to do every day. Worship him, thank him, praise him, confess your sins, and say, I love you, Jesus. But, but we all have an obstacle, a huge obstacle that hinders this love relationship with God. What is that obstacle? Sin. It's sin. And sin causes us to follow our own selfish desires. When we give in to temptations, we reject God's best for our lives. When we drift away from God, he takes the initiative to draw us close to himself. How many times have we heard church members, new church members, say in testimony right up here, you know, I drifted away from God. I got far away from God. I didn't want to go to church I just, I, I, I wasn't attending church. Then God, then God, he, he came to me and he drew me back to himself. You know what that is? He brought me back to himself. He touched my heart. That's evidence of reality number two, that God is pursuing a love relationship with you that is real and personal. Now, if you're not as close to God as you once were, I have a question. Who moved? Not God. If you're not as close to God as you once were, who moved? It's not God. Not God. So when we respond to God's invitations to come to him, and Moses did, when we respond to God's invitations to come back to him, we discover that this relationship, it's not to be one-sided. And so as we accept his love, as we accept his forgiveness, we draw closer to him, we worship him with even a greater intensity than we did the day before. Look what John said in chapter 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. How does Jesus manifest himself to us? What do you think? 
Do you think he's going to appear physically? No, I don't think so. He's going to manifest himself to us through the communion and fellowship with his Holy Spirit. We're going to feel his peace. We're going to be filled with his joy. We're going to understand that, that we have his presence with us. He manifests himself to us because of his love. Now, our love for God and our obedience to his commands, they go hand in hand. You can say you love God, but God says the evidence of that love is obedience, right? Do you love God? Well, Jesus said it this way. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments, John 14, 15. There in your notes. So obedience is the outward expression of a genuine inward heart love for God. It's not about rules. It's not about, uh, uh, you know, just having legalistic things in your lives. It's, it's from a heartfelt love for God. Now, Jesus commands baptism, doesn't he? First command he ever gives to any Christian is to get baptized. And the Holy Spirit prompts us to do it. And so the question for a Christian who loves God is, is okay, what date and what service? Is it 9 or 1030? Right? You just, because we love him, we obey his first command to get baptized. Now, we, we, we set up a baptistry over here. It's a, an indoor uh, pool, and our maintenance guys takes a little bit extra work to get it all set up. We're going to do one uh, in September, another baptism Sunday. Our missionaries, you saw Royce and Anita Kamilchu from Russia. They joined our orchestra today. They'll be here on furlough. And so our missionary, Konstantin Kamilcho, he's going to be baptizing his daughters in two weeks so we're going to have an extra baptism Sunday in there. So if you've not been baptized, you want to get baptized, you're welcome to be able to let us know and to participate in that as well. But that's what obedience is. I, because I love God, I obey God. And because I love him and I obey him, baptism is that first step. You know, let me share an observation. I've been baptizing Christians for 37 years. We began in the the Upper Marion Middle School pool. We would hire a water safety instructor to come and watch me, make sure I didn't drown anybody. I mean, the water was only three and a half feet deep. Didn't drown anyone, never, never, never. But all the years I've been baptizing people, no one has ever come to me and said, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Oh, that was a mistake. Oh, I regret that decision. Never happened. Never happened. 37 years baptizing people. No one has ever regretted getting baptized. It's a response to God pursuing this love relationship with you. Now, there in your notes in the box. If you have an obedience problem, then you have a love problem. You have a love problem. Obeying God out of love is not just following the letter of the law. It's a desire from our heart to obey, to obey God. You don't need your spouse's permission. You don't need your sibling's permission. You don't need your parents' permission if you're old enough. You don't need your friend's permission. Obedience to God is between you and God. And when you decide to love God and focus your attention on him, you just really don't care what anybody else thinks or says. Pastor Henry Blackaby, he tells about a time that a church member was having all kinds of difficulties in his personal life, at home, at work, even at church. And so one evening during a business meeting, a public business meeting, this guy became so furious over a decision that was made that he stood up, he angrily declared he was resigning from all of his offices in the church, stormed out of the building. Well, later that week, Pastor Blackaby went by, uh, met him, 
And as they met in his living room, he asked him, he said, hey, hey, can you describe your relationship with God by saying sincerely, God, I love you with all of my heart. And the pastor, Pastor Blackaby, said, a strange look came over his face. He said, nobody has ever asked me anything like that. No, I, I cannot describe my relationship with God that way. I could say I obey him and I serve him, I worship him, but I cannot say that I love him. And so as the pastor gently asked questions, he discovered that this man had never felt love from his own dad. His dad had constantly criticized him. His dad had constantly uh, made it clear that he never measured up to his father. And as often happens, he had grown up to view God just like his earthly father. And so he shifted all that anger and all that hurt, all that pain from his earthly dad to his heavenly father. And it was the joy of Pastor Blackaby to show him that God the Father loves him, that God the Father is pursuing this daily love relationship with him. Do you know, it's possible to attend church. It's possible to give and to be able to serve, but in your heart to miss this crucial reality about God. God is pursuing you in a love relationship with him. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked this question, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And the Jewish rabbis, they, they said there were 613 laws. This is now Passion Week. He just cleansed the temple. What's the greatest commandment? And you know what Jesus said, Matthew 22, 37, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, this was not a surprise a message for these Jews. What did every Jewish boy, what did every Jewish girl learn as soon as they could talk? The Shema. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. They called it the Shema. It became the daily prayer of the Jewish people. The Shema, the Shema is to the Jews what the Lord's Prayer is to the Christians. Now, Shema gets its name from the first word, hear, listen. The Shema is the centerpiece of the morning and evening prayers of the Jews, and they, they also add Deuteronomy 11, Numbers 15, some verses there. The Shema is the final prayer of Yom Kippur. The Shema is supposed to be the last prayer you pray before you die pretty significant the second reality of God is it's so important so helpful so practical so meaningful God is pursuing a love relationship with you it's to be real it's to be personal we do not initiate this love relationship he does so long before you were ever born God planned you from before the foundation of the world God thought about you God loved you Think about that. Go back to the time of Christ. Go back to the time of Moses. Go back to the time of Adam and Eve. Okay, before that, God's got you in mind. He knows exactly what you're going to look like. He knows exactly what your personality is. He loves you, and he plans for you to be saved and to, to love him. What, what do you say to that? Like, like, wow? Like, wow just seems so weak, doesn't it? How about wowsy? How about, how about 10 million times wowsy? 
that God would love us so much. In Exodus 3, 2, the angel of the Lord comes to Moses in a burning bush, and the bush is not consumed. Now look with me at verse 3. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. God is pursuing Moses. He's reaching out to Moses. Moses responds, as should we. Now, how do we show our, our love in return? Well, we praise him in song. We pray. We, we listen to his voice by reading the Bible, being still in prayer. We, we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. The Holy Spirit will prompt us and guide us and nudge us. The Holy Spirit will never encourage you to snap angrily at your, your spouse, your parents, your kids, your friends, your coworkers. He doesn't do that. In fact, He nudges, He encourages you to do the opposite, to be loving, to be kind, to be patient, to be encouraging, to be respectful. God wants first place in your heart. You will never regret loving God so much that He is number one priority of your life. Now, he always takes the initiative in this love relationship. He always makes the first move. Even when we're far away from him, even when sin is clouding our thinking, when sin has got us all bound up in addictions, he makes the first move. I, I love Jeremiah 31, 3. Look, look at this verse with me. The Lord hath appeared unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. Isn't that great? everlasting love so experiencing the seven realities of God number one God is always at work around you number two God is pursuing a love relationship with you and once you experience and understand the first two realities I think the third one just comes natural or should I say comes supernatural God invites you to become involved with him in his work he invites you to become involved with him in his work when God saves a man, a woman, a teenager, a child, he places in their heart a new desire to be connected to God, to be in touch with God, to fellowship with God, to be in tune with God. You, you know the most obvious promptings, don't you? I mean, I mean to, you, you want to read your Bible, you want to come to church. You, why do you think you're here today? That was God's nudging you to be able to come. And, and he prompts you to give and to serve, uh, to share our faith. We know these things. These urgings are from God. And yet at the same time, we struggle with being selfish. We struggle with being self-centered. Do you want to experience God? You know, it's a daily decision. It's a one-time surrender, and then it's a daily surrender. So every day you wake up, you have to decide, am I going to take a step towards a self-centered life or am I going to take a step towards a God-centered life? You say, ah, oh, but I've been saved 40 years. No, no, it doesn't matter. When you wake up, it's a new decision, self-centered life, God-centered life. Look at Joseph. Here's Joseph, this godly man. He's in the will of God. He's doing what God wants him to do. And every day, Potiphar's wife is after him, trying to seduce him day after day. Every day, he's got to make the decision again. Self-centered, God-centered. Self-centered, Christ-centered. This is what we have. He said, oh, 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 it's easy when you're a, a leader, a pastor, a missionary, a deacon, a teacher. You'd be dead wrong. You see, leaders struggle with selfishness leaders struggle with temptation leaders struggle to grow in faith and 
and obedience and humility. I, I think of Joshua and Caleb, 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb said, let's take the land. God gave it to us, 10 spies. No, giants are too big. We can't do it. Struggles, trials, they're all, always there. God has a plan for the world, and you and I are part of his plan. We need to join him where he is at work. He leads us from being self-centered to Christ-centered. When God reveals to you where he is working, that becomes an invitation for you to join him in his activity. Hey, hey, Moses already tried it his own way, didn't he? Remember, he saw the Egyptian mistreating the Jew, and he killed the Egyptian, and news got to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, and he runs away, backside of the desert for 40 years. There he is, 40 years. Now he, he's up on Mount Horeb. Maybe he, was, maybe he just wanted a time of worshiping of God. And God interrupted his worship and says, I got a job for you to do. Maybe you came today and you thought, you know, I'm just going to come to worship God. And now God is going to interrupt your worship and say, I've got an assignment for you today. Maybe, maybe you love kids. Uh, it might be that you want to serve in the nursery or, or help out uh, as a Sunday school helper. Uh, it might be that, man, you could be a guardian angel. Uh, maybe you have the gift of gab and you could be a greeter and welcome people uh, to God's house or be an escorter. By the way, people are getting lost all the time when they come to the building now. They don't know where to go. They need people to help get them. We'll give you an umbrella and you can go to town. Say, oh, you come here, come there. Uh, it might be that, that uh, during this building project that you could, uh, you could help come over, help move stuff around or help do some cleanup. We have a sign up to be able to provide coffee and donuts and treats for the workers. It's the Ministry of Construction every Monday. You guys are great. It's already signed up all the way through December, every week. Uh, it might be that God put it on your heart to be able to give uh, some one of the big financial needs that we have, and, and you can take a look at that. Uh, it might be that, that God is prompting you to carry tracks with you and to be able to take them uh, wherever you go. It might be at your business or on your desk at, at the office to be able to be a witness for the Lord. God is going to give you an assignment. Now, now Moses had the, uh, the burning bush. We're not going to see the burning bush, but there should be a burning in our heart to want to do more for God. To let, let I, I, God is inviting me to be involved in what he is doing. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. Reality number four. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, open and closed doors, the church, to reveal himself, to reveal his purposes, to reveal his ways. God is not speaking to us through visions and dreams. God used Moses to write down the first five books of the Bible so we could know who God is and how much he loves us. God wanted Moses to know his will, but God wants you to know his will today. We're going to take a closer look at that point in two weeks, experiencing God by knowing and doing his will. There in your notes, God is inviting you to become part of his family. He is leading you to join him in his great work. All you have to do is say yes. Yes, I surrender.
May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this account of, of Moses and how you reached out to him to save many, to save all of the Jews in Egypt. Not one was lost. Father, help us to see that you want to use us to help save many, to bring many to Jesus Christ, both in our community, but also around the world through our missionary outreach. Heads about, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know I would go to heaven because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not ashamed to be called a Christian. I'm not ashamed to be able to be counted as a follower of Christ. Would you simply raise your hand all over if that's you today? God bless you. You may put your hands down. You'd say, Pastor, I think I'd go to heaven. I hope I'd go to heaven, but I'm not sure. And I, 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 I sense it's tugging on my heart today to give my life to Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you. He rose again. And if you will accept him as your personal Savior, if you will trust in him alone, not baptism, not sacraments, you can be born into his family today. You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to do that today. It's not about joining the church. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's about faith and trust in Christ alone. Would you simply raise your hand? I want to receive Jesus as my Savior today. Just hold your hand up high for a moment. I'll pray with you today. I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you. But I, I want to get this settled. I want to know for certain that heaven is my home. Christ is my Savior. Krista, may I ask you, have you surrendered to do the will of God? Are you obedient to what you know God wants you to do? Maybe you've never been baptized. Why would you live in disobedience another day? Maybe it's something else in your life, some addictive lifestyle, some harsh, resentful unforgiveness, whatever it is. Would you surrender to the Lord today in this invitation song? God, work in our hearts. Show us that saying yes to you is the absolute best thing we can do for ourselves and for you in the will of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand together. Let's sing this song of invitation. I know it's a familiar song, but it's important that we give our all to Jesus Christ. to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Amen. Thank you. You may be